to the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 5. I know we have some guests here today. We're delighted to have you with us. Thank you for uh, choosing to be here and worship uh, with us here in Camden. We're in part two of a two-part series called Thanksgiving That Leads to Thanks Living. Here's what we believe, that when you give your life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, it should mean something in the way that you live your life. I mean, if I've surrendered to him as Lord, that means that under his lordship, I'm going to strive to do what he wants me to do, go where he wants me to go, say what he wants me to say, and be where he wants me to be. Thanksgiving is about an attitude. It's a lifestyle that you choose to praise the Lord for his goodness and his blessing. And this morning, we find ourselves in a very familiar story in John chapter 5. It's a man who's healed at the pool of Bethesda. He's a unique man. He's had to overcome some unbelievable things in his life up to this point, but he meets a man named Jesus. How many of you are glad there's been a time in your life when you have met someone named Jesus who knew all about you, loved us anyway, amen, church? Willingly went to a cross to die for Greg Jackson's wretched life because he loved me and he loves you. Well, this man encounters Jesus in a very unique way. Chapter 5, verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, house of mercy, having five porches, and in these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, and I want you to circle this, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed, and walked, and that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, it's the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to carry your bed. Boy, there's some great concern right there for healing, isn't there? You know anybody in your world that just sucks the life out of any joy? A man who has just been healed met him right here. Religious people. Let's keep going. Verse 12, then they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. And the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. Father, thank you for your word. 
I pray this morning that it would be rightfully divided from this pulpit. God, we are grateful for what you want to teach us through John chapter 5 about a thanksgiving that leads to a life that's grateful. So have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Three things I see in this passage right off the bat. I see a celebration. I see Christ, but I also see a crowd. I also see a crowd. Yesterday, 100,000 of my closest friends were at the shoe in Columbus watching a great battle of giants only to have your pastor wear a blue and yellow suit in honor of Gene Foley this morning to church. Now, don't clap at all for that. (laughs) Folks, I want to tell you something. You can be in a crowd and not know anybody around you. But I want to tell you there's never been a crowd where Jesus shows up that he doesn't know everything about everyone in it. And when we come to church on Sunday morning and worship, I know it is so easy, isn't it? It's so easy to put on a happy face and make everybody think we're just clicking on all cylinders and our life is just going so smooth, especially, boy, as a pastor. Renee is very sick this morning. She's had something for about a week and it wasn't COVID. So pray for her. I know she's watching and and I pray for her. I'm telling you, we can be around a crowd and think that nobody is aware of anything going on, but we can all be sick. And the picture I believe that is painted in John 5 today is not just about physical sickness. I believe it's about spiritual sickness because Jesus meets this man at his greatest need. Do you know that you can be here today and be healed of cancer and yet still die lost and go to hell apart from Christ? Your greatest need isn't a physical healing. Our greatest need is spiritual healing. And here's the deal. All of us have it. All of us have the disease called sin. There is a black mark in all of our lives. And Jesus came, and that's exactly what Mason read about. Jesus came to offer hope in a world of sin. And that's what Christmas is about. And that's what the Advent season's about, of Christ coming, the light to the darkness, so that you and I could know the hope that we can have in him. You see, there was a celebration mentioned here, and the Bible says in verse 1 that there was a feast. Now, in John's gospel, he often used feast, and he would identify the feast with the story that was being told, but here the feast is not really identified. Some writers would say that uh, most likely it was one of three feasts that men were uh, required to attend Passover or Pentecost or the festival of the the booths. But it's not named. But we recognize a celebration. And I want you to be reminded this morning that the star of Christmas is Jesus Christ. It's not the celebration that we have uh, with our family. It's not the Christmas Eve service. It's not going down to the gazebo and singing some songs, the star of Christmas is Jesus. And that's exactly who John 5 introduces us to, the game changer, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The Bible says in this passage that in Jerusalem, he's by a sheep gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda. 
the pool, pool of mercy, okay? What you see on the screen is a picture of the pool of Bethesda. I had the privilege in 13 to stand there and witness this, and it blew my mind based on the description of what I would think in Scripture. I would think that there would be a man who was not able to walk, fairly close to a pool, and, and uh, would be able to just slide down fairly easy, but this thing was tiered and leveled, and uh, it, it was fed by uh, uh, fresh water, and it was an interesting picture of how hard it would be if someone had an infirmity to try to get themselves in a position to be healed. I want to tell you what the hardest thing in the world is for you and I with the infirmity of sin to try to get in a position to be healed. There is a God who loves us with all of his heart. He went to Calvary to prove it. He offers it as a free gift. There's absolutely nothing we can do to attain it. It's a gift that has to be received. You'll say, Brother Greg, that's hard to understand. It is. But I want to remind you where my heart is. My heart is I believe in the sovereignty of God that he controls everything. I believe he controls your next heartbeat. He knows exactly how many of those beats we have left. He knows where we're gonna be this afternoon. I believe God's in control of everything, but I also believe that God gives us a responsibility to receive what he offers. You'll say, well, if that's the fact, then why do we even evangelize? Because God gives us the privilege to share his story and the Holy Spirit works in men's and women's lives and boys and girls. We have kids right now worshiping across the alley in their setting and our prayer is that that same Holy Spirit would knock on the door of a, a, a child's heart. So here, think about how hard it is for him to navigate being unable to walk for 38 years. Those of you that have broken bones, know how hard uh, ther therapy and rehab is once we get a cast off. Could you imagine uh, the hope and maybe the despair that he shares uh, uh, with Jesus in this, in this uh, dialogue that uh, I I've tried to put myself in a position to be healed, but it's just not working out. It seems like every time the water's stirred and I begin to make my move, someone always beats me to it. Now, in this passage, we're going to take a journey because Jesus already knows the condition of this man. There's no wheelchairs to assist, no ADA-compliant anything. There's only the mercy of other people. One writer said perhaps his family dropped him off in the morning and said, hey, we'll pick you up in the afternoon. Maybe you can get to the water today. The Bible doesn't say that, but it doesn't say it doesn't. Perhaps it, there was a caring family who thought his only hope is to make his way to the water and we're going to do everything we can to help him get there day after day, year after year. But he didn't rec realize that, listen to me, this was going to be his day. And maybe you're here t this morning and this is your day where you meet Jesus and your life is forever changed. If you have your outline notes this morning, I wanna give you a few things to take home. And here's the first one. 
Jesus asked the question, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? How about you this morning? So in walks Jesus, and things are about to change. When you look at verse 6, we find the first thing I want us to take home this morning. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition for a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? First of all, there has to be honesty. Honesty. That's where the story begins to change. You see, the hardest thing for many people to recognize before they come to Christ is, I'm a sinner. I, I need God. You might be here today and you're man-made. You're, you're, you're self-made. You're woman-made. That I've worked hard, hard all my life. We, we've earned everything we've gotten. No one's given us anything. We are self-made. Let me tell you something. The first place we have to begin when it comes to a relationship with God is in an honest relationship that I have a need. I have a need. You see, it's not just about physical infirmities today. It's about spiritual and emotional ones. But also there's something else that we see here in verse 7. The sick man answered him and said, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. You see, it's not only about honesty, it's about recognizing your need. And he's recognizing that there's no man, there's no man can help him and change his life. It's not happening. Now, I believe God uses people, don't you? I believe God uses people maybe alongside you at work to encourage you, maybe to share their testimony with you before you came to Christ. I believe God uses classmates, and I even believe God uses Michigan Wolverines. I don't know if any of you watched the post game and the running back who had all the yards yesterday. Microphone thrown in front of him. And he very calmly said, first of all, I want to thank God for everything. He didn't thank the Lord for, for the victory. He just said, I want to thank God for everything. He said it more than once. What would, what would you say if someone put a microphone up in your face and it was at the highest moment of your business career or your athletic career or some achievement you received? And what would you say if they did the same thing at the lowest moment in your life? I believe the story of John 5 is Jesus can change my life. Jesus has changed my life. And he continues to do so. You see, there's got to be honesty, and honesty leads to recognition. No man can do for me what God can do for me. Boy, I love to hear the reports about the babies. Uh, Fred uh, just had a new grandbaby, and Fred Howard, and, and, and you think, man, life, how, how exciting is new life? New life. And I'm thinking about Brian Kettering, you know, first-time dad. Remember that, dad's first time? We didn't know anything about fatherhood. I remember when I, I took Renee home with Drew, and I thought, what do we do now? And she's like, yeah, you've really done a lot so far. We'll take care of things. So for the next 37 years, here she is. So, so this infirmity is a year older than our oldest. A lifetime. No man can get me to the water in time. There has to be recognition. 
I have no one to put me in. And when the water's stirred while I'm on my way with, with maybe expectation, another steps down in front of me. Nothing else is said between verses seven and eight than this. Rise, take up your bed, and walk. Is it really that simple? Folks, when you recognize your need, you'll understand how much God loves us. You see, there's a price to pay when you answer the question, do you really want to be healed? It's not, I don't believe it, there's a mistake that they're at the house of mercy. This water source close to the fortress of, the, uh, of Antonia, a place that was built by Herod to uh, protect the Temple Mount. It has, it has a great meaning even to this day. Mason lit a candle of hope. What Jesus was offering this man was something that no man can offer another, and that is spiritual hope. You know, we tag ourselves the corner of hope, or our website's Camden Corner of Hope. But I want to remind you that hope is not about a place on the corner in Camden. It's not about this building. Hope is found in the one we point people to, Jesus Christ. Amen? The Bible says in Romans 15, 13, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who through his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So as a believer, our hope is not just in heaven one day. Our hope is in the now that God will provide and God will take care of us through this thing called life. So when your situation seems hopeless and when you act as if your situation is hopeless, like Charles Allen, here's what we're doing. We're slamming the door on the face of God. We're acting as if God cannot intervene. And man, we, we pray that way sometimes, don't we? And then when someone prays and they sound like they really believe that God can answer prayer, we, we say, well, they're Pentecostal. Folks, when we get to heaven, we're gonna be so shocked as Baptists, it's unbelievable. Amen? There's gonna be plenty of joy in heaven. These, these, these uh, carols that we sung today, uh, 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 jazz, right? Man, that's right up Brad's alley, jazz. Uh, we, we're singing songs of, of, of celebration and joy and Jesus is coming, the birth of Christ, and, and there's great celebration. Let me tell you something. I believe folks in heaven probably saying, my goodness, how quiet we were on earth, how we did not really understand the joy that is awaiting in Jesus Christ. Get ready, heaven's gonna be a place of celebration, but there's hope until we get there. Christians, don't you be living your life with your head in the sand, acting like the weight of the world's on your shoulders. We have a Savior who died on the cross, placed my sin on his shoulders so I can wake up in the morning and say, Lord, you're in charge. Whatever you're gonna do today, just help me be obedient and help me to live for you, amen? That's a good word. John Calvin said, the word hope I take for faith. And indeed, hope is nothing else but constant faith. I love that. But something else about this story needs to be noted. Verse 8, 
Jesus says, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. Next thing I want you to see this morning is the cure is clear. You see, the cure for this man's crippledness was Jesus. The cure for our sin is Jesus. And aren't you glad that he made, made it so uh, understandable for us that even a child that can be sitting in this service today would recognize how much God loves us and that Jesus died on the cross for me, and if I place my faith in him, I can be saved too. You see, the cure is clear. I want you to mark your Bible with your ribbon, and I want you to turn to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. If you're with me, say amen. I feel like we're a little quiet today, okay? Acts chapter 16. Verse 25. You're familiar with this story. Acts 16, 25. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were loosed, opened, and every chain loosed. And the keeper of the prison awakened from the sleep, seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and he ran in and he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Aren't you glad that the gospel makes it clear of how we can receive Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. They were in the first service and uh, Matt Jr.'s over here. Uh, I remember very, very clearly when Chief Spurlock gave his life to Christ. And not long after that, we made an appointment to visit their home to talk to Mitzi, Matt, and Mason. And when we got there, uh, one of the boys wasn't there, one of their cousins was there, and uh, have you ever planned something and thought, this is not going the way I thought it would? Um, and at first I was thinking, schedules aren't going to match up, they're all not going to be here to hear the gospel at the same time, boom, boom, boom. And before long, the absentee pulled in, everybody was there, sat down at their kitchen table that led to getting on our knees in their kitchen and all three of them gave their life to Christ. I remember when Matt was baptized, and we baptized all four of them together. When Dad was baptized, I said, this is an Acts 16.31 moment. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Folks, you don't know what God wants to do in your family when you give your life to Christ. You don't know who that may affect. You don't know what God is doing in people's lives, but make sure you understand the cure is very clear. The cure is clear. Go back to John 5. What must I do to be saved? 
the Philippian jailer asked. And then when you get to John 5, Jesus says, take up your bed and walk. Do you want to be healed? Take up your bed and walk. And then you flip the page. You flip the narrative. Because verse 10 comes along. Let me read 9 into it. Immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked, and that day was the Sabbath. And the Jews therefore said to him who was cured, it is amazing how you've been unable to walk for 38 years and we praise the Lord for that in your life. Amen. No. It's the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, he who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. Can't you imagine this man now looking for Jesus? Have you ever been in a big crowd? I mean a big crowd. and gotten separated from the one you love. I can remember as a little boy, uh, you know, when I was little, parents really didn't, don't tell my mom this, didn't have to worry about their kids in public. Like I can remember going to Elder Beerman's and somehow getting separated from mom, and I remember going down one aisle, looking, looking for, anybody ever been there? You know what I'm talking about? And then, and then before long, reunited. Can't you imagine this man who's been miraculously healed, now all of a sudden wanting to find Jesus. You can't argue with a changed life. The religious crowd, listen, here's the next thing, number four, changed lives scare the religious crowd. They didn't know how to handle it. All they could say was, this is the Sabbath. You're not supposed to carry your bed. Brian Underwood was in the first service, and he said, who, who knows, maybe, maybe the day before he left his bed in the same place. You know, like at a beach when you leave your towel or at the pool. But they were dealing with a whole different set of circumstances. Jewish leadership tried to make it so hard that nobody could keep the laws of the Sabbath. Opinions from rabbis had developed something that turned into 39 categories of activity that was forbidden on the Sabbath. Let me read some to you. I'm gonna read them all 39 to you. And I'm gonna comment on just a couple. To carry something. You couldn't carry anything in any public place. Burning, extinguishing, finishing, writing. It included all forms of writing and drawing. You couldn't keep records. You couldn't use a rubber stamp. Erasing, cooking, washing, that includes washing or bleaching anything. You couldn't remove a spot or stain from your clothing. You couldn't wring out a wet garment. Sewing, tearing, knotting, untying. Well, thank the Lord they had this one in there. You couldn't untie a permanent knot, but you could retie a knot that wasn't permanent. For instance, I guess shoes. Maybe that's why they wore sandals. Shaping, plowing, planting. It was forbidden to cut flowers on the Sabbath and put them in water. 
it was forbidden to change the water on the Sabbath. Reaping, harvesting, threshing, winnowing, selecting. For example, if you were eating berries and you discovered that there was a bad berry in, in the bowl, you could not select it out. That would break the Sabbath. Sifting, grinding, kneading, combing, spinning, dyeing, chain stitching, warping, weaving, unraveling, building. It also included pitching any kind of tent, which led them to say you could not put up an umbrella because an umbrella did the same thing as a tent did, protect you from the weather. Demolishing, trapping, shearing, slaughtering, skinning, tanning, smoothing, marking. Folks, I'm telling you, Jesus battled that mentality everywhere he went. But here's the good news about the law. Jesus said it was never wrong to do good on the Sabbath. Let's be very clear. We're living in a culture that wants to change what God has said. And by adding to the law, that's what the rabbis were doing. They were making it impossible for the average person to be faithful. Now, Jesus says in verse 12, take up your bed and walk. Or, I'm sorry, verse 11, he answered them, who made me well, or who said to me, he who said, take up your bed and walk. They said, who is it who said it? Take up your bed and walk. But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in his place. Number five. Changed lives cannot contain what God does in your life. A life that's thankful becomes a life that's lived with thanksgiving. Don't become so focused on your new condition that you forget Christ in the process. So what does Jesus do? As he's looking for him, the Bible says... Verse 14, afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. Changed lives can't contain what Christ does, and here's what I want us to hear. Jesus found him where he should find us. You ready, believer? Listen to me. At the place of worship. If I had a nickel for every time I've heard this in 29 plus years, you don't have to be a Christian to go to church, preacher. You don't. My response is, why would a Christian not want to go to church? Don't like the preacher. I'm sorry for that. I encourage you to find one where you can listen to the preacher without not liking him. Go to a place where you can worship. Well, somebody made me mad. Get in line. We've all been made mad at one point or another. Amen? Do you realize there's a shortage of coaches for all these ball teams in school? Do you realize there's a shortage of referees for all of these ball games? You know why? They're tired of listening to the parents. 
They're tired of listening to us coach from the sidelines and critique everything they do. Jesus found him where he should find us. And that is at the place of worship. And I love what Jesus says to him. See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. You see, when you meet Jesus, your life changes. Your direction changes. I mean, when we meet the master, when we've been healed, there should be a desire to worship. There should be a desire to grow. There should be a desire to serve. There should be a desire to share. And we need to be reminded of the question, not do we want to be healed, has he found you? Do you know him as your personal Lord and Savior? Are you living for him as a Christian? And folks, I can't think of a better time to recommit my life to Christ than right here during the holidays. Because there's so much ministry in front of us uh, over this next month and, and people are open like they've never been to the things of God and they're gonna be receptive to an invitation to come join you at church. I love when we get folks from different denominations. You know, maybe somebody from a Methodist background and say that they're coming now. And I love it because we get to say, see, we told you Baptists weren't crazy. You know, we, we told you we weren't crazy. But what we are saying is we're going to preach this Bible about the one who loves you more than anything and anybody can come to the cross as you surrender your everything to King Jesus. I'll close with this. There are stories about addiction where there's an enduring spouse. Some of you can say amen or oh no to this. Where there's an enduring spouse who lives for years praying for change. And then surprisingly, when the one who was addicted appears to be healed, turning their life over to God, there's a possibility that the spouse crashes. Why? Because they built their lives around dysfunction and don't know how to live without it. There's nobody now that they can blame for their mood swings. They can't blame somebody else who's causing it. And now the codependent has to accept that they too are in need of something. And brothers and sisters, that's us today. That's us today. Al-Anon was formed by spouses of alcoholism and it now exists for those who suffer from the effects of dealing with it. So, so this, this holiday, let's plead with God and, and not think that God needs to fix everybody else. Let's be the 38-year-old with the infirmity and, and, and meet Jesus and let him do the work in our life that can change me forever. That's what I love about the gospel. There's all kinds of people sitting in this place this morning. Those of you that are, that are hiding things from God and think, think he has no idea about it, 
Those of you that are just honest about your sin and don't care what anybody else thinks about it, and there are some of you here that have made mistakes and think that there's no way God can forgive you, and there's some of you sitting here that think you're better than everybody else. I'm telling you, the foot of the cross, the ground is level, and when you come to Jesus, we all have to come the same way. Maybe you need to pray to let God break your pride. Maybe you need to pray to let God allow your humility just to be an honest conversation. You know, Camden is not perfect. And when I say Camden, folks, I know we've got folks from Eaton and Butler County and all over the place. I say Camden because that's where we're at. That's where I live. So when I say Camden, I'm, I'm, I'm all of us. Are you with me on that? All of us. That's what I mean by that. We can be dysfunctional. Camden can be weird sometimes. But I couldn't think of a better place if I guessed a thousand times where I would want to be and the people I love and the community God's placed us and can't wait when I travel. I'm a three-day guy. When I'm going three days, I want to get back to Preble County. And I can't wait to see the old familiar sights. And friend, let me remind you this morning that when you think about Jesus, if you're a Christian, don't you be three days out. You come back home this morning. If you've never given your life to Christ, this is your day. Just as it was that morning when that man met Jesus, let this be your day. And you begin a new life this morning, trusting Christ and living for him and let God use you for his glory for such a time as this. Let's all stand, every head bowed, every eye